Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Peter, 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Please follow along with me either on the screen or on your devices or your Bibles. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we're taking two weeks as a church to, uh, to focus on stewardship and generosity. And these are important aspects of the Christian life that, honestly, that we haven't done a very good job in talking about up to this point as a church. And, and that's because many of us, including me, maybe especially me, have seen in, in the past in church giving and money sort of abuse. Anybody, you don't have to go raise of hands, but just kind of looking in my eyes, giving me that knowing look that you've, you've been a part of, of church in the past where you kind of knocked up against some unhealthy, what kind of felt like kind of gross, icky teaching about money and about giving. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, and, and so because of that, I'll be honest, as a, as a preacher and as a teacher, I've kind of like veered away from talking about that. We don't pass a, a plate here, an offering plate here. We're not going to talk about why we do or don't do that this morning. We have a kind of a inconspicuous box in the, in the back, and we just sort of trust the Lord to provide. And that's, that is great and good. But this, the truth of stewardship and generosity are key aspects of the Christian life. And so what I hope is going to happen over the next two weeks as we cover stewardship this week and generosity next week is that the Lord is going to reframe for us a little bit. He's going to reframe a little bit for us individually. It's as families and as a church, what does he mean by, what do we mean by stewardship and generosity and how does that play out in the life of the believer, in your life and in the life of a church? Our passage this morning is taken from 1 Peter and Peter is writing this letter that we now call 1 Peter. He's writing this letter to a group of believers in the early church, this baby church that are experiencing their first outside pressure. Things are getting hard because they're believers. In fact, he calls what they're going through fiery trials. And what he does in the book of 1 Peter, in the letter that he writes here, is he, is he encourages these believers that are experiencing these fiery trials. And he does so when he starts off the book by reminding them of the surpassing value of the grace, unmerited grace, that God the Father has given them in Christ. This is what he says in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God, he praises, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, to an inheritance. This is if you are a believer in Christ today. This is what you have received through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who? You as a believer, who by God's power, whose power? Your power, your strength of will, your tenacity, who by God's power, no, by God's power are being guarded, kept through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, he says, even though you are surrounded by trials, by various trials, he says, in this you rejoice. You rejoice if for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then he goes on to explain the difference. If that is what we have received as believers, he goes on to explain this is the difference that makes in your life if you're a believer. He says this. He says, you, I don't know where you're from. I don't know your background. I don't know how valued you are. I don't know how society looks at you. If, if you're in a very important person in your family and in society, if you are a mover and a shaker, or maybe you're like me and you come from a little bit of the wrong side of the tracks and you wonder a little bit about your value and your importance, and maybe you've lived long enough to get to a point in your life where you think, maybe I'm not going to achieve and do all the things that I thought I should achieve and do, and you're wondering if you're valuable, if you have a place. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once, this is, the, this is so cool, once you were not a people, once you were nothing, once you were a nobody, once you were overlooked, once you were a misfit, but now, but now you are God's people. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what, what struggles you're going through, what pains you're going through, what fears you have, what your bank account says, what your family says, what your friend says. Here's what I know. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you were once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what he says, what Peter says, is that great mercy that we have received has changed who we are. We have been born again. And therefore, because we have been radically changed, therefore how we interact with other people, how we live our lives has to change and must change and does change. And then he gets to our passage that Auntie read for us. Where he says, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What he says is this. He says, God's incredible mercy Pretend that didn't happen. Your new birth, your living hope, your new inheritance, they should all and must all change how we live our lives. And this is what he says. He says, our understanding of the time that we live in determines our outlook. Here's a question. What is the point of the time in which we live? What is the goal of life? How we answer that question. What is the purpose for the time that we live in? What is our goal in life? How we answer that question determines what we do, where we put our time and energy, and how we order our lives. And here's the thing. Most of us answer those questions. What is the purpose of the time that we live in? What is the goal of life? Most of us answer those questions sort of by default. We might, as believers, if you're a Christian here, if you're a Christian or been around church, you might, as a believer, as a Christian, someone who carries that label, you might have beliefs about what the point of life is. If you're a Christian, you definitely should have definite beliefs about the purpose of life. But what happens is, though we hold those beliefs inside here, we what we end up happening is we let the pressure of society, the flow of the culture of life around us, the pressing needs and the desires of life, we let them kind of push us and direct us in a particular direction. We're caught in a a current, a strong current. If you picture a a strong river, we're caught in a, a strong current that just pulls us along. What we find out is the cares of financial security, of financial success, of personal fulfillment, of a desire for experiences, a fear of missing out, the the desires of our families and kids, our desires for our family and kids. We let the flow of the world, of all of that, push us hard in a particular direction. You see, the world around us sings a song to us. It's so loud and it's so catchy that it's one of, like, it's one of those annoying pop songs that just gets stuck in your mind that a day later you find yourself humming and you don't know why. That's what the beat of the world's song does for us. It's this powerful, catchy tune with a powerful beat that carries us along with it. We find ourselves singing to that song. We find ourselves dancing to its beat. And the song is saying, live for this world. Live for the here and now. Or live for tomorrow. Put away everything you can. Do all the hard work you can and live for tomorrow. But whatever you do, the song says, Whatever you do, it sings around us. The beat echoes around us. It says, but whatever you do, live for this world. Live for this world. 
This world, this life, is what the song sings, is all that matters. And even though when you live in that song, the beat is frenetic and it is exhausting, even though it never seems to to offer the nirvana, to provide the nirvana that it offers and promises, you just keep dancing to the exhausting, endless beat because the message of the song is too scary to stop. It says you'll miss out. It says you won't become all that you could be. It says you'll be left behind. You'll miss out on life. But here's what's true. This is what Peter is saying. If you're a Christian... If you're a believer in Christ, if you have been born again, you have a different song in your heart. But what happens as believers is that we have a different song in our heart. We get caught in this place of dissonance. You know what dissonance is? If you stand beside me during praise and worship, you'll learn what dissonance is. It's whenever whatever you're singing or playing is out of harmony with the actual song. And what happens in our life We get caught in a dissonance. We hear a song in our heart, but the beat of the song around us in society pulls us and pushes us and compels us to live for this world, this life only. And to that, Peter brings a reminder, and he says this. He says, here's a truth that reshapes the life of the believer It's a truth that reshapes the life of the Christian. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're not a believer, it's the truth that can reshape your life. And you hear what he says at the beginning of verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? What does it mean the end of all things is at hand? Well, you could read that, first of all, and think, well, it's been almost 2,000 years since that was written, and I don't know that the end of all things has happened, so maybe this wasn't the word of God, or maybe, maybe it's, I don't know what this means here, but it can't mean anything that applies to my life. But here's what it means. Here's what Peter's saying. He says this, as a man who walked with Jesus, he says, Jesus has come, and that is truth. And what Jesus said, the one who died and rose again, who you can bank upon what he says because he was 100% God and man. He lived and died as he said he would. He rose again as he said he would. He, he appeared before many people, hundreds of people, and then rose as his believers, his apostles, saw him rise back to heaven and he is seated the right hand of the Father. He said, not only will I live and die and rise again, but he says this, I will return. I will come again. And he said that when he comes again, this is what will happen. I will come again and I will judge the living and the dead. As believers, we believe this. We believe that this world has an expiration, as we know it at least, has an expiration date on it. And the great thing that hangs over all of our heads isn't just death, it's that we will face God. We will look in the face of Jesus Christ and we will all give an account for our lives. We will face him as judge or we will face him as king and savior, but either way, we will face him. And Hebrews says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that truth, 
the truth that Jesus came and is coming again, and we will give an account, all of us, for everything that we have done and said. We will see God face to face and give an account to him, either as judge or as king and savior. That can and will and should reframe our lives. How does your life, how does your life, what you live for, what you long for, what you focus on, what you give your energy to, how you earn your money and what you spend your money on, how does that line up with this great truth that Jesus has come and he will come again and we will see him face to face? This is how Jesus talked about his return. Matthew 24, he says, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. For as the lightning flashes, Luke 17, and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he said, be aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He goes and picks a picture like while everybody is saying, there's peace and there's security, and then all of a sudden, he will come. The impending return of Christ, today or tomorrow or a thousand, two thousand years from now, changes the way a Christian lives their life, or it should. It must, it must change the way that we live because the setting and the time that we live in determines the importance and the urgency of what we do and how we do it. The setting and the time that we live in, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, The importance and the urgency, the fact that we will all see him face to face, determines the urgency and the importance of what we do and how we do it. And Peter is saying that if we understand that, if we see that, then we will see that as believers, what we are living in is we're living in a season or a time of stewardship. Did you hear that in the passage? Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards, hear that? As good stewards of God's varied grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In in Matthew 25, Jesus told a story, a a parable about a master, a wealthy man who went on a journey. And before he went on the journey, he pulled together three of his servants that Jesus calls in the parable stewards. Now, a steward is someone who has a great amount of authority over something that they do not own. That's what a steward is. It's someone who has a great amount of authority over something that they do not own. And that's what played out in this parable. He left three stewards and he gave them varied or different amounts of resources to use. He gave some one ten and one five and one, sorry, I messed up. 
He gave some varied numbers of talents. And a talent was 20 years, 20 years of a laborer's wages. And he gave multiple talents to different of the stewards that he left in charge. And then, whenever he came back, he held them accountable for what they did with the talents or the resources or the fortune that he left with them with. Now, this is the interesting thing about the story, is that when Jesus says that the man came back, he, wasn't, he, didn't, keep them, he didn't hold them responsible for keeping the money or the resources that he gave them, the gifts that he gave them safe. He held them responsible for using the gifts that he had given them to have a return on his investment. That's what he held them responsible for. He didn't give them talents to keep them safe. He gave them talents in order for them to do something with them. He held them accountable for getting a return on his resources. Because, see, because they weren't their belongings, they were his, therefore, if they lost them, they didn't lose anything personally. He lost the investment. They didn't lose the investment. And he says, basically had the attitude of, hey, while I was gone, it's not your money. I left you in charge of it to give a return on investment. You should have done anything that you could figure out that you could think of doing to get a return on that investment. That's what I left you. I could have put it in a bank if I wanted just to keep it safe, if I wanted just to earn a little bit of interest in return, but I gave it to you so that you could give me a return on my investment because it would have been my loss if you had lost it. And here's what Peter, I think Peter had that parable of his master Jesus in mind whenever he writes this passage. And this is what he says to the believer. He says, the pending return of our master, the pending return of our master means that we must use the gifts that he has given each of us in such a way to get a return on his investment. Our master is returning, and he's left us as stewards over the gifts that he has given us. Why are we stewards? Well, we're stewards, first of all, because we are all created. I don't, you, each person in this room, I know a lot of you, you have particular talents and intelligence, you have possessions, you have abilities, you have gifts. You have things that you own and possess. You have personality traits. You have things that you, that you can do that wow me. The things that he has given you, how many of you gave yourself those things? How many of those created money? Maybe some of you have the ability to make money. How many of you say, hey, well, I earned this money. How many of you actually created the idea of money? Created the idea of investment? created the idea of work, created the field that you happen to be able to prosper in. You have all, all of us are created beings. That means anything that we have, anything that we possess, we possess by the will of an intelligent, even an all-wise designer, capital D. None of us own anything that wasn't given to us, or the ability to get those things wasn't given to us by the intelligent, all-wise creator and designer. I have a creator, and you have a creator, and that means 
all that we have, we're really only stewards of. Because one day, we will all die and we don't take any of those abilities and talents through the grave with us. You don't take any of your possessions through the grave with you. It all came from someone else. Therefore, because we were created, all that I have and all that I am, I owe to the creator. And I'm accountable for what I do with myself. But Peter says, if that wasn't just enough, he says, it's not just because you were created, not just because you were created that you are steward of God's varied grace. He says, we, this is what he's saying, we are stewards of the varied gifts of God that he has given us because every single one of us who are believers have been bought with a price. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus at the cross didn't just cover your sin. He didn't just provide a way to forgive you of your sin and bear, bear your sin and pay your penalty, though he did, and that is amazing and will, will earn unending eternal praise for all time to the lamb who was slain. But not only did he bear our sin, not only did he pay the penalty that we had to pay because of our sin, you know what else he did? We are told we were bought or redeemed from the king of this world. We were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Do you not know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a steward, a person who has great uh, power over, great, uh, great authority over something that does not belong to them. You are a steward because you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, we are stewards who have become sons and daughters of the King. As believers in Christ, we haven't just had our sins covered and forgiven. We haven't just been redeemed and bought from the kingdom of darkness and brought to the kingdom of light, but we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the King and Kings and Lord of Lords, the almighty creator God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So you know what that means? If we are stewards who have been created, we're stewards who have been bought with a price, and we are stewards that have been included into the family of God himself, made sons and daughters, it means that he's given us the ability to share with the Father in the redemption of this world. That's a pretty cool job. That's a pretty cool responsibility. And you know what else that does? It reframes our ability to make money, our talents, our time, our abilities. It reframes all of that and how we use it. 
Because he's called us, he's given us all these things, all his varied, gracious gifts. He's given them so that we would be stewards of them and participate with the Father and the redemption of mankind and this world. But what do we steward? What is it he's saying that we, re- that we steward? There's a word that he used here when he used the word the varied gifts. We're stewards of the varied gifts of God. That word there is a, the Greek word that means gracious gifts. Charisma. Gracious gifts. It means that every, each one, each person has been given varied gifts that are gracious gifts of God to us. And every single one. He says, each Each of us have received gifts. Now, you might say, hey, I'm like that guy in the parable who got one talent. I got one talent. And some of you are there like, well, I've got five. Well, guess what? You still, whatever you have has been given by God. Whether you have much or little, a lot of talent or a lot of ability, it's been given by your loving Father who's bestowed them upon you. And has a plan for you to use them in such a way that you can use them with joy. You can use them with a smile on your face. You can use them in a sense of adventure to see what will God do with this one or two or five talents he has given me. What will he do with what he has given me? I don't know. But I want to invest it for the future. I want to invest it in what the Father is investing his time and his energy and his power to. I want to invest it in the kingdom of God. I want to invest it for his glory. I want to invest it in seeing, God, what you are doing, I want to be a part of that. Hey, if, if Elon Musk, whatever you think about it, if Elon Musk showed up today and said, hey guys, I'm just going to tell you something. Uh, I'm going to be investing in this new company uh, I'm going to give you guys a ground floor opportunity to jump in on this. I guarantee you, you'd be scraping, you'd be going through your seat cushion saying, what can I get together, together to invest in this thing? Because that guy, like, he might be crazy, but he, like, he's got some success behind him, and I want to put my money on that. Oh, crazy, I'll take crazy. I'll take the return on that crazy investment. Guess what? Guess what God is doing? What is God putting his energy and attention towards? His kingdom, the redemption of mankind, the renewal of this world. God is putting all his time and energy into that. And he says, I've made you a steward of whatever gift or ability or talent or possessions that you happen to be holding right now. And I invite you, I call you, I command you, all the, I invite, call, command you, come in and join with me in my kingdom work and what I am doing. And guess what kind of investment that returns? It is imperishable, infallible, held in heaven for you. You have been graciously given gifts from God. Your time. I don't matter how rich or how poor those of us are in this room, we all have the same amount of time in a day. The same amount of hours in a week. You have time. You have talent. I'm sure I have talent in some way. You have treasure. Natural abilities, 
hey, treasure, you're like, hey, uh, you can skip past that. I don't got any treasure. But guess what? The widow in the temple gave one little penny, one coin. And Jesus said, no one in the whole world has given what she has given or more than what she has given because she gave all that she had. Time, talent, treasure. Hey, by the way, if Jesus, if Jesus saw her putting that coin in that box, do you think God the Father saw her put that coin in that box? Do you think God said, thank you for that, I'm gonna go spend that on something, I hope you're gonna be all right in the end. Or do you think God said, all right, I got something to work with with this widow now. She gave her one mite. She doesn't know where her next meal is coming from, perhaps. But, oh, I got something to work with because she gave 100%. Guess what I can give her in return? Do you think the rest, what do you think the rest of her life looked like? I don't know. But I can guarantee you I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. And I've never seen anyone pour out 100% of what they have to the Lord with a heart of praise and thanksgiving where God didn't say, guess what? I will take care of you. Time, talent, treasure. You've got natural abilities. What natural abilities do you have? You might say, this isn't much. Like, my natural abilities, it's not much. But what could God do with your natural ability, your widow's might of natural abilities and talent? Spiritual gifts. We're told elsewhere that God has given, we don't have time to talk about it, that God has given each person in his church at least one spiritual gift a gift, a gracious charisma that God has given you for the sake of his body, that God has given you for the sake of his kingdom, that God has said, hey, I'll give you this. It's not just a natural talent. It's not just a natural ability. I've given you this thing that's a spiritual gift, and I will operate spiritually by my power and my strength through you, and you will see me do things through you and your body and in, the, in this body and in the community that you would blow your mind if you'll simply come and bring it to me. Your background and your history, your unique background and history, whether you look back in your history and you say, man, I had a terrible life, or you say, man, I had a great life, whatever God has given you in your background and your history, he's given it to you that's part of the things that he's given you, your gifts and abilities to use. He's given you possessions, and he's given you a unique viewpoint and your own unique passions. Everything, in fact, everything that you possess, everything you've been given, he's given you to be able to use for his kingdom. What gifts of grace have you in particular received from God? What particular, what particular, I want you to ask this question of yourself. What particular gifts are you accountable to him for? What time? What talent, what treasure, what abilities, what possessions has he asked you to use for his name and his glory? Have you even asked him? Have you even looked around at your talent, abilities, time, treasure, talent, possessions? Have you ever looked at them and actually asked him, God, hey, what do you want me to do with this? You created me, and this is sort of a mess. I look around, and it doesn't seem like much, but what do you want me to do with this? Have you asked him? Think of what your life could look like. Think of what it would mean 
to leave the heavy current of the world's values. Think of what it would mean to step out of the exhausting beat of the song of the world and to leave that for a life that is ultimately fulfilling. Life in Jesus is eternal. It is full of life and joy and rest. He said, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. What does it mean to steward the very gifts of God that he's given you? First of all, it means surrender. It means you come to him and you not only say, hey God, what could you do with all this? Or you say, God, I'm bringing all this to you. You created me. You redeemed me. You've adopted me as your son or daughter. All that I have is yours. I've been trying to hold some of it back. I've been keeping part of it safe because I wonder, like, what if this whole God provide for you thing doesn't work out? Well, I'm going to, I'm keeping it, I'm trying to keep it safe. I'm, I'm clutching tight. I've got a, I've got a plan B and C and D. If you don't work out for me, if you don't watch out for me, if you don't direct me, I'm, I've been holding these things back and God, I'm coming and saying, it is all yours. I surrender. I bow my knee to you. All that I have, all that I am, all that I've done, all that I could do, all that I hope for the future. It is all yours. All I am, all that I have is yours. And not a once, just a once for all surrender, but I'm talking about a momentarily, day by day kind of surrender. To, to surrender means to give up to someone else. And that is the joyous life of the believer. To joyfully surrender all that we have, all that we own, all our hopes for tomorrow and the future, and say, God, Father, because you've redeemed me and created me and you call me son or daughter. I believe you are trustworthy. I give all that I am to you. Lord, direct me, guide me, tell me what you want me to do with my life. Wherever you say to go, I will go. Whatever you say to do, I will do. Whatever you say to, to say, I will say. I simply give it to you. I leave it in your hands for you to determine what you will do with those things. What, you, what kind of return comes on my talent, my abilities, my little treasure, my widow's might, God, you take that and you see what you want to do with it. It means surrender, and it also means serving others with those gifts. That's how we surrender it, by the way. This is how the kingdom of God looks different than the kingdom of this world. This is how the church, by the way, stands out in our culture not just by what we believe, but by what we do with the gifts that we've been given. The Christian has received grace from God. All of grace is a gift. All of his love is a gift. All of his mercy is a gift. And all that he has lavished upon us as gifts, they are gracious gifts of God. The Christian is one who is drowning in the grace of God. So Peter says that we should freely and gladly offer anything we have and everything we have to Jesus, but also we offer it to Jesus by offering it to others around us. That's why, that's why in Acts, Luke makes such a point to say, not only did they gather together and worship God, these new believers, but it says they shared all they had in common and no one had a need among them. Why? 
because they were drowning in the gracious gifts of God. And they said, because I am drowning in the grace of God, and that grace is inexhaustible, I can never reach the end of God's grace. I can never reach the end of his love. I can never reach the end of God's possessions because his grace and love and all that he has is inexhaustible that I can freely and gladly give whatever I happen to have in my hand at the time, whatever time I have, whatever ability I have, I can freely give it to God by giving it to others and trust that he will provide more and more and more grace, more and more gracious gifts to me. Because God's abundance can't be exhausted, the gifts he pours upon me and through me cannot be exhausted. Cannot be exhausted. And the picture when a people, just picture me what a church looks like when we take hold of that. You know what that that people look like? It looks like every member of the church, every part of the body of Christ, serving and ministering with the gracious, the never-ending gracious gifts of God in us and through us to each other. Can you imagine what kind of kingdom that is like to be a part of? Can you imagine what kind of community within the greater community of the Grand Strand we would look like if we lived like that? Can you imagine what kind of army that releases into an area when a people do that? When a people live as gracious stewards of the grace gift of God that he has given us. What could God do through a people who view themselves as stewards of the various, of the varied gracious gifts of God. How can we use our gifts to build up his church? How can we use his gifts that he's given us to reach the lost, to heal and serve the hurting, to push back darkness? What kind of return can we see on our master's investment if we did that? So here's what I'm asking you this morning. What is God calling you to surrender to him today? Not like, oh man, I'm so glad Johnny's here this morning. He really needs to hear this message. How about you? What is God calling you to surrender to him today? What kind of life is he calling you to lead? How, he, how might he be calling you to change your life? To change your finances? To change your career? To change the way you use your time? To use your gifts? To reach the lost? How might he be calling you to heal the hurting? to push back darkness. The truth is, a Christian really can't live any other way and carry the label of Christian very seriously. You know why? Because that's the kind of life our Lord lived. Have you surrendered to him? The one who came and left heaven and emptied himself and took the form of a servant in order to live a life and die a death for you? Have you surrendered to him? This morning I ask you, have you 
surrendered to him? Have you been redeemed from the darkness into light? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you become a son or daughter of the king? Or are you standing on the edge thinking, I'll acknowledge that there's God, but I won't bow to him as Lord. He gave himself for you. He's offering free grace poured out to you without cost. And he's inviting you to step out of the world's song and come find rest in him. Today can be your day. And believer, as I close and pray and we prepare for communion, ask the question, Lord, what do you call me to surrender? I hope you'll say, Lord, if you can use anyone in this world, please come and use me. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come back up. And we're going to open up two stations for communion, one on either side. Uh, as you see fit, you can come forward. They'll, they'll hand you the bread and the juice. You'll t- come back to your seat. And then we'll come back afterwards and we'll lead you in communion together as a body. Lord, I thank you for your very grace that you poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the imperishable riches that you hold for us in heaven. And the adventurous, fulfilling, though honestly scary life that you call us to lead by giving all that we have to you as your stewards. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us as a church, so you lead us as a people, you lead these people here to take steps of faith and surrender to use all that you've given them to invest in your kingdom that they would get to see and experience the joy of what that means. Glorify your son, your glory and our joy, we pray.